If you're a politics junkie, you need to be listening to the Election Ride Home podcast. Every day at 5 p.m., former This American Life contributor Chris Higgins reports from the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction and what do the polls say? Search your podcast app now for Ride Home and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast. Hearing dark stories in a podcast is one thing, but living in darkness is quite another. If you're living with depression and trying to deal with it using alcohol, illegal drugs, or other bad influences, there is a way out of the dark. Call 1-800-273-8255. With the FMLA, you can even take a leave of absence from your job and return to it once you've found help. 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Hey, weirdos. Before we begin this episode, I'm really excited to find out that Weird Darkness has been nominated for a podcast award in both the Storyteller Drama category as well as the People's Choice category, and you can help by nominating, that is, voting, for the podcast yourself. If you visit podcastawards.com and then you click on Nominations, you can get started, or click the link in this episode's show notes. Nominations and voting, they end July 31st, so please don't hesitate. Look for the Storyteller Drama category and the People's Choice category on the page after you sign in, and then choose Weird Darkness at the Dropbox. And thank you for being such a wonderful and weird family. And now, on with the show. This episode is dedicated to the men and women of our armed forces and first responders. Whether you are currently serving or have served in the past, you are appreciated. It is because of your courage and sacrifice that we enjoy the freedoms and liberties we hold dear. And I, for one, appreciate every single one of you for protecting what many of us take for granted. So thank you. Stories and content in Weird Darkness can be disturbing for some listeners and is intended for mature audiences only. Parental discretion is strongly advised. Welcome, Weirdos. This is Weird Darkness. I'm Darren Marlar. Here you'll find stories of the paranormal, supernatural, legends, lore, mysterious, macabre, unsolved and unexplained. Coming up in this episode of Weird Darkness… On a warm July night in 1919, the body of young Bella Wright was found with a bullet hole in her head. Now, exactly 100 years later, the mystery of her murder is still unsolved. Weirdo family member Darren shares a story about one of his co-workers. The bloodstain remains on the floor to this day, and several witnesses have claimed to see a black mist materialize from the spot and glide through the house. We'll look at what could be the most haunted home in Philadelphia. The legendary paranormal researcher Harry Price was the first to go ghost hunting in the infamous Borley Rectory, but some think there is more mystery to the man himself than to anything he chose to investigate. But first, demons are notorious for possessing innocent human beings. But it doesn't always need to be a person. Sometimes a demon can simply take up residence in your house. 
we'll look at some signs to determine if that's happening in your home. Now, bolt your doors, lock your windows, turn off your lights, and come with me into the weird darkness. Ghosts might be one thing, but demons are something else entirely. A demon is a fallen angel, a supernatural and malevolent entity that exists in many religions around the world, under different names. In the Bible, they're described as angels who were hurled down to earth along with Satan, whose sole purpose now is to revolt against God's plan and his people. In the New Testament, Jesus was said to have driven out many demons. Matthew 8, verse 29, "'What do you want with us, Son of God?' the demons shouted. "'Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time?' Demons are mostly known to possess individuals, but there have also been many claims of demons infesting homes. That is to say, there are stories of such events. As with most things of this nature, there are no concrete answers either." Here are a few of the reported causes for demonic infestation. Dealing with the occult or practicing black magic. Using a Ouija board. Some believe Ouija boards may invite negative entities into our world. This is the reason that many warn against using a Ouija board at all. Summoning a demon. Yes, people attempt this sometimes, and it does what it says on the box, if stories are to be believed probably not something you should try, ever. And negative energy. Overwhelming stress, anger, and other negative human emotions may catch the attention of a demon and perhaps allow it an easy route into your life. Those might be the reasons why a demon would decide to bunk with you. But let's take a look at some of the common symptoms of demonic infestation. Things you should perhaps look out for strange noises. They aren't like the clanging chains and soft whispers in horror movies. The sound of a demon is said to be guttural, a harsh growling unlike anything an ordinary animal could produce. This may occur in specific spots such as closets or hallways. You may even hear strained words over your shoulder, asking you questions or threatening you in some way. Other sounds may occur as well, including banging or stomping and scratching on walls. Scared animals. Many believe animals can see ghosts, your pets included. When a dog starts barking at empty air, he or she may have witnessed a passing spirit. But you also have those cases when the animal is afraid, terrified even, growling at an unseen force hidden from human eyes your pet may begin acting aggressively for no apparent reason, and there are even some cases in which a pet has reportedly fallen ill during a demonic attack. In his book True Tales of the Ouija Board, Stephen Wagner relates one such incident, during which a group of girls were playing with a Ouija board. All was well until they contacted a spirit that unexpectedly mentioned their dogs. When they asked the spirit what it meant, it simply replied, 
you will see. Not long after, the girls heard their dogs screaming outside. They later found a mysterious burn mark on one of the dogs. Mysterious Shadows The presence of shadow people might be a sign that a demon lurks nearby. In some cases, the shadows take humanoid forms, but they've also appeared as animals, or even simply amorphous blobs that don't resemble anything at all. One case of a potential demon involving a shadow person was reported by a Reddit user several months ago. While sleeping one night at her grandparents' house during a sleepover when she was very young, the witness was shocked awake, only to glimpse a dark silhouette in the chair on the other side of the room. It was awkwardly positioned, sideways, with its arms holding its legs up to its chest. Having been taught a little about Christianity by her parents, at first she thought it could be Jesus or some other positive entity. But just as she thought that name, the shadow figure lurched up out of the chair faster than anything humanly could and approached her. The figure watched her and then began doing something very odd. It started scratching at its own calves, tearing at its own flesh, if it even had any. The witness tried to calm down and eventually fell asleep, if that's what it was. It was like time had warped in some way. She woke up the next morning, but not before she felt a strange breath upon her ear. Demonic Nightmares Dreams are interesting things. They can tell us a lot about who we are and what our subconscious minds are really thinking. They can also, perhaps, act as windows into a world just beyond our own. But that's not always a world we want to enter. Many have reported having strange and terrible dreams that accompany the unexplained activity in their homes during a haunting, particularly those involving demons. About a year ago, for example, another Reddit user posted his experience with what he believed was such a demon. It was in early October, and he had just gone to sleep after a very tiring day. That's when he had what he described as the worst dream he would ever experience in his life. It involved something indiscernible but horrifying. It hovered over his bed, glaring down at him with a disgusted look, whispering something he couldn't quite make out. The dream ended with him waking up hours later exhausted and sweating. He went out for a walk to clear his head, but when he returned he found his door wide open, and that was only the beginning of his demonic experiences. He go on to witness many of the signs on this list, the loud bangs, the shadows, and even two red eyes staring at him in the darkness. Damage to Religious Symbols Demons don't take kindly to holy symbols. They may attempt to destroy crucifixes, Bibles, rosaries, or other religious artifacts, anything that could act as a threat against their presence. A Foul Stench One of the most common signs of a demonic infestation is a terrible, putrid smell, the scent of decomposition or rotting eggs, sulfur, the scent of death. One idea is that the sulfur smell is actually a reaction that demons or other negative entities have to divinity. This smell occurs, some say, when the demon is upset or when the area they are inhabiting has been blessed or cleansed. 
a streak of bad luck. Parasitic or negative entities may latch onto people, draining them of their energy. They're said to cause all sorts of unexplained symptoms, including drained emotions, mood swings, and bad luck. Accidents may occur frequently, but there may be more to this seeming pattern of bad luck than meets the eye. A demonic attachment might be at fault. Friendly Visitations Demons are deceptive. One of the main reasons people warn others against the use of Ouija boards is that oftentimes they believe any spirit that appears friendly or is claiming to be a deceased family member is likely a demon lying to you. They're telling you what you want to hear, making it easier to take control. This can be seen in reports of the demon Zozo, a fiend that seemingly enjoys pretending to be familiar spirits contacting users through the Ouija board. But sooner or later, the Ouija demon reveals itself as the malevolent force that it is, causing havoc in the lives of anyone who dares test it. Physical and Psychological Disturbances Have you ever been scratched by an otherworldly force? A spiritual attack is said to occur when the victim experiences scratches, bite marks, and other wounds without any ordinary explanation. They may happen anywhere on the body or even on objects around the house, tiny mysterious scratches that seem to defy all rationality. In the case of a demon, like the aforementioned knocking, three scratch or claw marks are said to serve as a mockery of the Holy Spirit, but scratches aren't the only sign of a demon. A person may feel odd sensations like he or she's being watched. Feelings of unease or even outright nausea and other forms of illness also have been reported. The goal, it would seem, is to wear a person down to make possession easier. And then, demonic possession itself. Demonic possession is a topic all by itself, but suffice to say a demon's presence in a home or attachment to an object may very well be a precursor to the full-on possession of a human. That may in fact be the entire purpose, what the demon wanted from the very beginning, a vessel. In the famous or infamous story of Annabelle, when Ed and Lorraine Warren first visited the two women and their curious Raggedy Ann doll, they say they knew immediately that they were dealing with a demonic attachment. The demon was only pretending to be the spirit of a young girl attached to the doll, but in reality it was attempting to be welcomed and accepted into their lives, after which it planned to possess one of them. The Warrens refer to this process as invitation, obsession, infestation, oppression, and possession. I'm following up this episode of Weird Darkness today with a bonus episode entitled What You Should Know About Demon Possession. If you're interested in learning more about the subject from a Christian perspective, what demons are, what they do, how they came to be, how to recognize them, and what you should do to protect yourself from them or get rid of one that is tormenting you, you can listen to today's bonus episode. I will share a link to it in the show notes. On the warm summer night of July 5, 1919, 
the body of 21-year-old Bella Wright was found on a little-traveled road in Little Stretton, England, a small township near Leicester. Her bike was nearby, and there was a bullet wound in her head. She had last been seen by her uncle earlier that evening with a man with a green bicycle. This man would later be identified as Ronald Light, a 34-year-old World War I veteran. Bella was a young woman of the working class, the first of seven children of an illiterate farmhand and his wife. She went to school until she was 12 and then transitioned to working in order to help her family, first as a domestic servant and then as a factory worker. She typically stayed close, riding her bicycle the five miles between work and home. On the night of her murder, the young woman had been traveling to see her uncle, George Measure, when her front bicycle tire came loose. A passing stranger, now known to be Mr. Light, stopped to help her out. When he did not have the necessary tools for the job, he offered to accompany her on her way. They arrived together at Measure's home. The uncle would later describe Light as unnerving. But once the bike was fixed, his niece and the seemingly helpful stranger rode off together. The time was approximately 8.50 p.m. Just half an hour later, at 9.20 p.m., a local farmer named Joseph Cowell happened upon Bella's overturned bike and her motionless body on the quiet country lane. He immediately called for help, summoning both the local doctor and police constable Alfred Hall. It was, of course, too late for the doctor's services, and his candlelit autopsy of the body pronounced her dead from a bicycle accident. Police Constable Hall, however, wasn't so sure. In the morning, he returned to the nearby church where Bella's body had been moved to more closely examine the results of her accident. Wiping blood and matted hair away from her face, he saw the clear mark of a bullet wound and knew suddenly that her death had been a murder. A trip back to the site where her body was found revealed a 45 caliber bullet, confirming his suspicions. The story quickly spread, as did George Measure's description of the mysterious man and his bicycle with unusually shaped handlebars. A poster was made and all were told to be on the lookout for either the described man or, notably, his green bicycle. It wasn't until February of the following year that any progress was made on the matter. It was at this point that, in a serendipitous accident, the tow rope of a cool barge snagged an important piece of debris from the bottom of the river soar. It was the frame of the green bicycle. The remaining bits were hauled up as well and investigators were able to identify the bicycle, despite it being dismantled with many of the serial numbers shaved off as belonging to one Ronald Light. Later, a laborer by the name of Samuel Holland would come forward stating that he saw Light dismantle the bike and toss it into the river piece by piece from the Upperton Road Bridge in Leicester. Also pulled from the same river, an Army-issued pistol holster and 45 caliber bullets, matching the bullet at the scene of the crime. Light was arrested on March 4, 1920. He claimed he was innocent of Bella's murder. He admitted he had been with her on the night of her death, but that he had split ways with her upon leaving her uncle's home. He cited his ailing mother as the reason that he had not come forward as being the man with the green bicycle and for having attempted to dispose of that evidence. He even admitted to being the owner of the found holster as well as having owned a revolver, 
In short, he admitted to everything, except for the actual murder. At his trial that summer, Light appeared to be quite the gentleman. The facts presented against him, however, painted a different story. Along with all of the evidence to which he had admitted, it was found that Light had also had several incidents in the past, including run-ins with the law. He'd been fired from a number of positions, had a seemingly unhealthy fascination with fire, having attempted to light offices and a row of haystacks, and had been accused of inappropriate conduct towards girls and young women over a number of years and in a variety of settings. In every incident, no charges were brought against him. Despite this damning information, Light's strategic lawyer, Sir Edward Marshall Hall, who coincidentally would earn the nickname the Great Defender from his successful representation of people accused of horrendous murders, presented his client as a trustworthy teacher, army man, and community member. He also offered the court a story which excluded Light from having any murderous motive. The young woman, so Sir Edward suggested, had likely been shot accidentally from at a great distance, not close range as Light was accused. It seemed like an obvious conviction, but Light's professional and calm demeanor, combined with the theory that a close-range shot would have more grotesquely disfigured the victim's face, provided the jury with enough reason to acquit the man. Light walked free, and Bella's family and community were left wondering what happened during the last half hour of her life. Now, exactly 100 years later, the case remains unsolved. After his acquittal, Light moved away, changed his name, and married. He lived a quiet life, dying in 1975 at the age of 89. Weird Darkness continues in just a moment. If you're a loyal listener of Weird Darkness, I'd like to invite you to become an official weirdo. For as little as five bucks per month, you'll get the daily commercial-free version of Weird Darkness, exclusive news about the podcast, special offers only available to official weirdos, and even a lapel pin telling the world that you are officially weird. Learn about becoming an official weirdo at WeirdDarkness.com. I've told people numerous times in the past that if I ever own my own business and I have employees that I have to take care of, one of the job training requirements is having them listen to or read the book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It has been extremely beneficial to me through the years. I've listened to the audiobook numerous times. I've got the print book as well on my bookshelves, but it is a pretty long book. However, right now you can listen to the entire Blinkist version and it'll only take you 15 minutes. And you can listen to it absolutely free with a seven-day trial to Blinkist. I love Blinkist. I use it every single day, and it's made for busy people like me and you who want to get the main points out of books quickly without having to read the entire book because, let's face it, we just don't have the time. Well, with an audio feature, Blinkist makes it so easy you can finish four books a day just while on your commute back and forth to work. And now they have a special deal just for Weird Darkness listeners. You can have a seven-day free trial 
so you can get all the books, including Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And after that seven days is up, you can still get Blinkist for 25% off if you want to continue as a subscriber. If not, you can still keep the free version of Blinkist and get a new book every single day anyway. Check it out. Go to Blinkist.com slash Weird Darkness. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Weird Darkness. This episode of Weird Darkness is brought to you by MyPillow. Weirdo family member Mike said, Darren, I ordered two queen-size MyPillows and these really are, in a word, luxurious. The way your head and neck just sinks ever so comfortably into the pillow, it's so soft but at the same time so supportive. Right now, you can get two premium MyPillows for one low price. Go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code WEIRD or call 800-945-7192. That's 800-945-7192 or MyPillow.com, promo code WEIRD. Are you weird at work? Do you listen to the podcast at the office? Are your co-workers weirdos as well? Let me know at WeirdDarkness.com by clicking on Weird at Work. You might get a shout-out in a future episode and maybe even get a delivery of something weird and or dark at your office from Weird Darkness. Standing at 5267 Germantown Avenue in Philadelphia is a nondescript building with an otherworldly reputation. In a city with so many historic landmarks, the oddly named Grumblethorpe, said to come from a novel about a German family in England, looks like nothing more than another stone colonial structure. But tales of its spectral happenings go back over two and a half centuries and continue to this day. Grumblethorpe was built in 1744 as the summer home of John Wister. Wister was a wine merchant in the city, and his family was prominent in Philadelphia. John's brother, Casper, was a German-born glassmaker and one of the first German colonists in Pennsylvania. The Wisters would also become the namesake of the Wisteria plant. Indeed, their horticultural interests were great. Crumblethorpe included several acres of plant and flower beds and a looming ginkgo tree which still stands today. The tree is said to have grown from a seeding brought from England in 1754. Thirty years after it was completed, Grumblethorpe became the home and headquarters of British Brigadier General James Agnew, who was still recuperating from wounds sustained in the Battle of Brandywine. A few days after Agnew took up residence, the Battle of Germantown raged on October 4, 1777. Agnew rode into battle without support and was promptly ambushed by over 100 enemy troops. As he turned to escape, he was shot in the back. Agnew's soldiers and his servant, Alexander Andrew, carried the mortally wounded leader away. They took him back to Grumblethorpe, where he bled to death on the wooden floor. James Agnew reportedly haunts the home now. The bloodstain of his death still remains on the floor of Grumblethorpe, and several witnesses have claimed to see a black mist rise from that spot and move throughout the house. Others remember standing on the spot and subsequently hearing the sound of moaning, especially on the anniversary of Agnew's death. But Agnew isn't the only ethereal guest of the old house. There's another ghost 
referred to as Justinia Hemberger. According to legend, Justinia's father, Justin, died in the 1793 Philadelphia yellow fever epidemic. She was orphaned but taken in by the Wisters before she could be displaced. She soon became the house manager. One of Justinia's favorite pastimes was baking bread. She did so every Friday night for the purpose of distributing it to the poor on Saturday mornings. Then late one evening in 1820, Justinia appeared to John Wister's daughters in their bedroom. Believing that Justinia was at their other home on Market Street several miles away, the girls were a bit startled by her sudden presence. The following morning, the Wister family learned that Justinia had passed away the night before. Ever since her death, people have insisted that her spirit lingers in Grumblethorpe and is most often seen on Friday evenings after sunset, usually accompanied by the smell of freshly baked bread. She is a friendly presence and has also been seen by many children who visit the house with their parents. Aside from visitors, staff members at Grumblethorpe have had paranormal experiences that defy explanation. Education director Diana Thompson recalled seeing a black shape low to the ground spitting very quickly from the dining room into the colonial parlor. Thompson then said, I'm not in the mood for this, after which the shape disappeared. Thompson's son also saw the same black shape. Its description matched the entity seen near James Agnew's blood spot. Other staff members have claimed to see figures or eyes in the dining room mirror. Some young volunteers have admitted that their parents are too afraid to pick them up at Grumblethorpe. Volunteer Kelly Alsop recalled a particularly unnerving experience in an upstairs room. Walking through the room with two other staff members during the middle of the day, Kelly noticed their shadows cast on the floor. But she also noticed a fourth shadow that didn't belong to anyone in the room, one that was clearly wearing a dress when everyone else was in jeans. Despite the eerie occurrences, those who work at Grumblethorpe do not feel threatened. To the contrary, workers have learned to coexist with their otherworldly guests. The house was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1972. It now operates as a museum and is open to the public. They called it the most haunted house in England. The Borley Rectory was a dark Victorian mansion in the sleepy Essex parish of Borley. Built in 1862 by the Reverend Henry Bull, the estate was beset by reports of the supernatural until its demise in 1944. Borley Rectory's paranormal activity frequently made headlines thanks to famed paranormal investigator Harry Price. There is as much that's a mystery about Harry Price, perhaps England's most famous or infamous ghost hunter, as there is quantifiable fact. Some of this confusion is due to Price's own dissembling. For instance, though Price claimed that he was born in Shropshire in 1881, he was actually born in London of that year. Whatever the truth of his origins, Price left behind a legacy that will be familiar even to many who have never heard his name. Fans of films of the paranormal or readers of the Hellboy comics 
have likely encountered fictionalized accounts of several of Price's cases. An amateur musician and psychic researcher, Price dedicated most of his life to studying paranormal phenomena and debunking spiritualists. The latter practice made him none too popular with many of the believers of that movement, including Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. After Price debunked spirit photographer William Hope, Doyle led a mass resignation of 84 members of the Society for Psychical Research and continued to hound Price for years. Unlike many magicians, however, Price was actually open to the possibilities of the paranormal and believed that some spirit mediums were genuinely legitimate. This, among other things, put him at odds with some other members of the Society for Psychical Research, or SPR, which he joined in 1920. Price was also a member of the Magic Circle, an organization of stage magicians. The Ghost Club, arguably the oldest paranormal research organization in the world, and the founder of the National Laboratory of Psychical Research, which he founded as a rival to the SPR. Some of Price's most famous cases include his investigation of the medium Helen Duncan and a black magic experiment atop Mount Brocken in Germany, in which an attempt was made to transform a goat into a young man. Price claimed that he participated in the experiment, known as the Blocksburg Trist, only to prove the fallacy of transcendental magic. Price also investigated Jeff the Talking Mongoose in the 1930s. Jeff supposedly inhabited the farmhouse of the Irving family on the Isle of Man, though Price's investigations alleged that the hair and paw prints of the mongoose were actually from a dog, and that the talking was produced by hollow walls in the house, which makes the whole house one great speaking tube with walls like sounding boards. In 1927, Price claimed that he'd come into possession of a box left behind by self-styled religious prophetess Joanna Southcott, which she had left behind after her death in 1814. Along with the box, Southcott had left instructions that it should be opened at a time of national crisis and only in the presence of every bishop of the Church of England. Price opened the box in the presence of only the reluctant Bishop of Grantham and found that it contained only a few odds and ends, including a lottery ticket and a horse pistol. Followers of Southcott, known as Southcottians, maintain that the box price opened was a fraud. As recently as the 1970s, a Southcottian group called the Panacea Society claimed to be in possession of the actual box and placed advertising campaigns that pushed to have the box opened under the conditions set forth by Joanna Southcott. Price's most famous case was his study of Borley Rectory, which he called the most haunted house in England. The first ghostly sighting associated with the Borley Rectory, which was erected on top of an old monastery, occurred in 1863. Townsfolk attributed it to a nun from a nearby town who had fallen in love with a monk, Local lore had it that they were caught trying to elope and the monk was executed while the nun was boarded up in the cellar to die. On July 28, 1900, four of Reverend Bull's daughters reported seeing the ghost of the nun gliding across the estate, the first of several encounters. Sightings grew stranger for the Bull family and included a coach driven by headless horsemen racing down the property. When Reverend Henry Bull died in 1892, his son Harry, also a reverend, 
took over the rectory until his own death on June 9, 1928. A new man of the cloth moved in a few months later. Reverend Eric Smith and his wife experienced ghostly lights and bells, spectral footsteps, and Mrs. Smith even found a skull wrapped in a paper bag while cleaning out the kitchen. All of this prompted the couple to contact the Daily Mirror in an attempt to reach the Society for Psychical Research. An article entitled Tales of Headless Coachman and a Lonely Nun made the newspaper on June 10, 1929, and two days later, a soon-to-be famous paranormal researcher named Harry Price visited the home to investigate. At the same time, other researchers began to investigate the claims made by Price and Marianne. Some speculated that the reports were falsified to cover up Marianne's infidelity, and it later came to light that the Reverend's wife was having an affair with a boarder named Frank Peerless. The Foister's family tenure at Borley Rectory lasted until 1935. With the mansion now unoccupied, Price decided to rent the home for one year so that he could continue his investigations uninterrupted. Through an ad in the Times, he found nearly 50 willing participants who would live in the dwelling and document their findings. Price's studies at Borley Rectory advanced his career and solidified his reputation as a preeminent researcher in the paranormal community. He came up with the idea of a ghost hunter's kit, which included tape measures to gauge the thickness of walls, cameras to capture proof, portable phones to facilitate communication between multiple researchers, and remote-controlled equipment so he could record activity from a distance. Out of this year-long research, seances were performed and two ghosts were discovered by the team. The first was a French nun who was identified as Marie. It was she who was buried alive and who pleaded for help through messages on the wall. The second ghost had a foreboding message. Sonex Amures warned that he would set fire to the rectory on March 27, 1938, and that the remains of a murdered individual would be revealed. Price concluded his research and left the mansion shortly thereafter. In 1939, the rectory's new owner knocked over an oil lamp while unpacking boxes, resulting in a fire that gutted the building. The insurance company would later conclude that the fire was deliberately set. During the blaze, a woman who lived nearby said that she saw a figure of a ghostly nun in an upstairs window and demanded money from Harry Price for her story. Price returned to Borley to sort through the wreckage. In 1943, he announced that he had unearthed the bones of a young woman. Price held up the bones as conclusive proof of the ghostly nun. By this time, however, locals and the paranormal research community had grown skeptical of Price. The bones were eventually given proper burial, though not in the parish of Borley, where local opinion held that they were the bones of a pig. Instead, Price went to a nearby town to do the deed. After Price's death in 1948, the SPR conducted their own study investigating Price's claims about Borley Rectory. In what came to be called the Borley Report, the SPR concluded that Price had faked many of the phenomena or that they were due to natural causes. Meanwhile, psychic researcher John L. Randall claimed that dirty tricks had been played on Price by members of the SPR during his residency at Borley. Whatever the truth of Price's life and cases, perhaps the greatest legacy he left to the world of paranormal research was his extensive collection of writings on magic and psychic phenomena, which make up the Harry Price archives 
at the University of London, as well as the Harry Price Library of Magical Literature, housed at the Senate House Library. Our final story is a short one from Weirdo Family member Darren, and here is his story. Many years back, I worked security work in Sydney, Australia. As often happens, you do a lot of night work, along with the late hours and strange people at that time, and the otherworldly. I worked with a fellow guard, and we got to discussing the building's resident. After explaining that story to him, he then opened up about his time at the State Library of New South Wales. He told me of the night New Year's Eve 2000 when sitting in the control room, he and another guard noticed a rather attractive young woman in period dress, crossing the main yard. It was gated and closed to the public, so they radioed the guard on patrol and dispatched him to the area to escort her out and to check to see the main gates were secured. As they watched, the guard came into view on the left monitor while the young woman was still moving across the other monitor as they followed her camera to camera. As the patrol guard approached, he radioed in asking where the woman was and were they playing games as he couldn't see her. The control room radioed back, stating that she was right in front of him and counted down the distance, five meters, four meters, three, and so on. Then the guard says, you're kidding me, there's no one, and then goes, holy, that got cold, what in the as my partner reiterated that he and the other guard with him watched the two walk right through each other. Well, that guard ran back to the office and dropped his radio and keys off and quit that night. Thanks for listening to Weird Darkness. If you made it this far, you can count yourself as part of the Weirdo family, and you can help spread the Weird Darkness around the world by sharing this podcast with your friends and family on Twitter, Facebook, and your other social media, or maybe send them a text or an email. Be sure to check out the website, WeirdDarkness.com. There you can find the Weirdos Facebook group, the chat room where I hold a live listen-in chat on the fourth Wednesday of every month. You can sign up to have your business or organization recognized on the Weird at Work page. There's audiobooks, the Weird Darkness store, links to my social media, and a whole lot more. If you listen via Apple Podcasts, I would love to see a review from you, or you can drop me an email at darren at weirddarkness.com. I got an Apple Podcast review from Jacquelinagem91 in Australia saying, Darren, I've been listening to you for nearly two years now. I actually started listening to podcasts because something awful happened and I was so depressed I couldn't sleep, no matter what meds I was given. Ironically, I picked your show first and then found you talking about depression. Gotta wonder sometimes. Anyway, I've listened to other shows, but I always get bored and drop them after a while. Weird Darkness is the only podcast I've stuck with because I always enjoy the stories and I love listening to you, so please don't stop. Well, thank you for the review, Jack. I appreciate that. You know what? I cannot tell you how much it means to me that you have found some encouragement, hope, and escape from your depression by listening to Weird Darkness. That really does mean the world to me. Now, I don't know what happened a couple of years ago um, that caused the downward spiral in your depression. You didn't mention what that was, but you know what? I don't need to know. I'm just glad you know that you're not alone in it. 
We all have issues that we struggle with. Depression happens to be yours and mine. Just, just know that you can always call that number if you need somebody to talk to. Or you can even visit the Weird Darkness Weirdos Facebook group. A lot of folks in there, they know exactly what it's like to deal with depression, and they've been very supportive of people in the past. So, I love you, Jack, and uh, definitely I'll be saying a prayer for you tonight. Also, I uh, got a nice uh, Apple Podcast review from India. Aryan Posse said, Nice collection, bro. Just keen to know, are these stories real in reality? Uh, now, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Uh, Aryan Posse, if, if that's not how, I, how you pronounce it, I'm, I'm sorry. I, but in answer to your question, uh, except for Thursdays in which I do creepypasta stories, which are, of course, always fiction, the rest of the week, I say in each episode that the stories are purported to be true. And, and I, I really thought long and hard about that exact phrasing, purported to be true. Because honestly, I have no idea if the stories are literally true or not. Um, they're, the, the authors say they are, so you know, unless I feel otherwise, I usually just take the author or submitter at their word, and if they say it's true, then I treat it that way. Uh, they purport it to be true, so I, I just choose not to challenge that claim. Now, that being said, though, there have been a lot of stories that I've come across that claim to be true, but I just can't buy them. They, they are far too outlandish, or, or something just rubs me wrong about what's being claimed. And in those cases, I don't, call, I don't come out and call the person a liar. I just choose not to use those stories in the podcast. So, great question. Thank you for sending it. And, you know, I'm sure it's something a lot of people were wondering themselves. So, hey, by the way, say hello to everybody in India for me. It's awesome that the podcast has made it all the way to India from Chicagoland, USA. Again, if you want to drop me an email, you can do so at darren at weirddarkness.com. Do you have a dark tale to tell? Click on Tell Your Story at weirddarkness.com and I might use it in a future episode. All stories in this episode are purported to be true, and you can find source links or links to the authors in the show notes. Weird Darkness is a registered trademark of Marler House Productions and is a part of the BG Podcast Network. Copyright Marler House Productions 2019. And if you or your company are in need of a professional voice guy, I would love to talk to you about the project that you have. You can hear some of my voice work at MarlerHouse.com or just drop me an email and we can talk. And now that we're coming out of the dark, I'll leave you with a little light. 1 John 3, verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And a final thought from J. M. Lawrence. It's not what we have in life, but who we have in our life that matters. I'm your creator and host, Darren Marler. Thanks for joining me in the Weird Darkness.